welcome back to The Wise Man's Page, the daily podcast where we read Patrick Rothfuss's The Wise Man's Fear, page by page. This is page 556. Did they get the boy's ass back on? Hespi interjected. I shrugged. That's not part of the story. Dayton gestured wildly, his expression frustrated. What's the point of it? I put on an innocent face. I thought we were just telling stories. The big man scowled at me. Sensible stories. Stories with endings. Not stories that just have a boy's ass. He shook his head. This is ridiculous. I'm going to sleep. He moved off to make his bed. Hesby stalked off in her own direction. I smiled, reasonably sure neither one of them would be troubling me for any more stories than I cared to tell. Tempe got to his feet as well. Then, as he walked past me, he smiled and gave me a sudden hug. A span of days ago, this would have shocked me. But now I knew that physical contact was not particularly odd among the Adem. Still, I was surprised he did it in front of the others. I returned his hug as best I could, feeling his chest still shaking with laughter. He's ass off, he said quietly, then made his way to bed. Martin's eyes followed Tempe, then he gave me a long, speculative look. Where did you hear that one? he asked. My father told it to me when I was young, I said honestly. Odd story to tell a child. I was an odd child, I said. When I was older, he confessed he made the stories up to keep me quiet. I used to pepper him with questions, hour after hour. He said the only thing that would keep me quiet was some sort of puzzle. But I cracked riddles like walnuts, and he ran out of those. I shrugged and started to lay out my bed. So he made up stories that seemed like puzzles, and asked me if I understood what they meant. I smiled a little wistfully. I remember thinking about that boy with the screw in his belly button for days and days, trying to find the sense in it. Martin frowned. That's a cruel trick to play on a boy. The comment surprised me. What do you mean? Tricking you just to get a little peace and quiet? It's a shabby thing to do. I was taken aback. It wasn't done in meanness. I enjoyed it. It gave me something to think about. But it was pointless. Impossible. Not pointless, I protested. It's the questions we can't answer that teach us the most. They teach us how to think. If you give a man an answer, all he gains is a little fact. But if you give him a question, and he'll look for his own answers. I spread my blanket on the ground and folded over the threadbare tinker's cloak to wrap myself in. That way, when he finds the answers, they'll be at the end of the page. I'm Jeremy. I'm Jordana. I'm Nick. I'm back in the fullness of my power. Oh no, he has he has his key, his coin, and his candle, folks. Does he also have the golden screwdriver in the golden box on the golden pillow? Oh, you bet your ass he does. So I, I want to jump right in and talk about this, actually, because uh, in all of the reading I've done about this book, about this chapter, everyone's like, this is such an interesting story by Rothfuss. This this joke, so funny. Can't believe he came up with it. He did not come up with this joke. I read, I heard this joke when I was a kid, almost word for word. So I had never encountered it outside of this book, uh, aside from the one time I heard it as a kid, but it's not something that Rothfuss made up. I want to... Uh, stress that and i want to tell the people on the internet who think that rothfuss wrote it that they are wrong on the internet which is of course a cardinal sin yeah well anyone who's wrong on the internet even once should have their internet license revoked that's like most people yes exactly wouldn't it be better if nobody was on the internet it would be better if nobody could post except me of course my posts are always very good we should also point out that Jordana heard on a radio program someone tell a version of this story. So this is like in the zeitgeist. Indeed. I heard that's, uh, I heard from someone on the radio that they heard from someone in their childhood 
that story. So, And now you've heard from a podcast that someone in their childhood told them this story. So uh, two people on the airwaves can't be wrong. I want to suggest that maybe Martin is right, uh, that Kvothe in his rose-colored glasses, has looked back and said, ah, my wise father gave me an endless puzzle to sharpen my brain, when in fact his dad did just want to send him away to his child area so that he could noodle on his loot in peace. Why can't you have both? Yeah, well, exactly. Like, I think that his dad probably did tell him stories that were worth thinking about, and I also think it's perfectly legitimate to send a a child on a wild goose chase to get some peace and quiet. That is a perfectly rational thing to do as a parent. It doesn't make you a bad person. It means that you want some peace and quiet from your awful child. Yeah, it's better than handing them an iPad. What is hide-and-go-seek if not that? Hide-and-seek is is apparently a game that crosses cultures, and the theory is that it helps teach children how to escape from, you know, pursuers in times of danger which is why it, it, it occurs in almost all cultures independent of, uh, of any contact. But uh, I agree, Jordana, that uh, what indeed is any of the things we, we do give our kids to do, uh, and an, an endless puzzle is probably better than an iPad and YouTube. So Exactly. And like certainly I, I don't have any children of my own, but I was an annoying child sometimes. And all my friends who are parents are constantly trying to find things for their toddlers to do because kids get bored easily and whom amongst us has not either pestered or been pestered by a kid just peppering you with questions you know why is the sky blue why 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 and sometimes they won't take no for an answer so you just have to give them something else to do i think that martin has the wrong end of the stick i agree can i tell you guys something i realized today that uh, i'm the kind of parent who will be like calvin's dad I was imagining how I would explain the, you know, complicated things and like ethics to a kid. And I imagined having like a calm, thoughtful discussion with a wide eyed youth who would absorb all of my wisdom uh, willfully and and happily. And then I realized that that's exactly what Calvin's dad does when he like tries to have a a calm discussion of wholesome principles. And Calvin is like screaming, ah, and I realized that 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 would be me. That's what I'm going to be. Oh, I definitely thought you were thinking the other way around. Like you're going to be Calvin's dad explaining that. The reason that uh, photos are in black and white is because the world didn't turn into color until about 1965. Yeah, I, I am both at once. Why can't it be both, as Jordana would say? <laughs> I contain multitudes. I, it's funny you mentioned Calvin, because I also was thinking about Calvin reading this page, because I think that Quoth is invoking the Calvin principle of if someone asks you to do something you don't want to do, do it once very badly, and they'll never ask you to do it again. He's sick of them constantly asking him to tell stories so he tells them a story that sucks so they'll stop pestering him about it it's almost reverse psychology yeah absolutely yeah it's definitely done it with intention i would argue and i know i missed the page that that this took place on but i would argue that he actually did a good job of telling the story he he reeled him in like he's he's clearly a very good storyteller i think the same thing could have been done by telling a story very badly but he didn't tell a story badly. He right, told but a, he can't do that. He told a bad story very well. Yes, exactly. He, he couldn't do that. I think that makes the sting of it worse somehow. Because it's it's worse to be like let down by a story that you think is going somewhere good than to suffer through like a boring story. See, this is the you hate the ending issue. That story is good and they like it until they know the ending. Yeah, because the ending is meaningless. It's nonsense. It doesn't tie together what the story is about. It doesn't lead to enlightenment or understanding. It's just a big wet fart. Yeah, it's sort of a uh, Rise of Skywalker. Yeah, I have no problem with stories like that. 
<laughs> yeah, like in that that movie is the ending to the trilogy that has such promise and is a big wet fart. Yes, yes, and retroactively makes the rest of it worse. And I'm I, as much as I like to take every opportunity to uh, to shit on the sequel trilogy or the the final movie of the sequel trilogy uh, because the middle one is impeccable and is the best piece of Star Wars content ever produced what i am trying to talk about here is that the ending makes the story worse the ending makes this a bad story it's a good story throughout the entire process until you reach the end and so uh i don't know if rothfuss is doing this intentionally but i do think that in micro this is the issue that plagues the rothfusses the rothfussi and the george r martinis of the world in that they need to stick the ending or it retroactively makes the whole process worse. And in the case of a George R. R. Martin, you have a sunk cost where we've spent 20 years waiting for the ending. And if the ending isn't good, it's going to render all of those 20 years uh, rather than, you know, in retrospect, instead of fun anticipation, it's going to be uh, ash in our mouths. And I, you know, if, if the third book comes out and it sucks, like it's, it's rise of Skywalker bad. Will we finish the podcast? No. You know, like, will our enthusiasm wane so much? And I think the answer is yes. Like, I think that if if it's bad... I think we'll be obligated to, to like, Yukio Mishima commit ritual suicide on the air. I mean... <laughs> that is the, the fine print. I know that that's how you guys view it. But it doesn't change it for me. Well, let's, let's talk <laughs> about that, Jordana. I envy you. I envy you your beliefs. Jordana, why, why is that? Because I enjoy the journey. I don't really care about the ending. Like I've, I've read plenty of books where I don't even remember the end because the ending wasn't any good. But I, re- I really liked the books themselves. So it, it didn't bother me. Like I also like I like to finish a full book, but whether or not I finish a series never really bothers me because I don't need to know the end in order to enjoy the story. Like I've I've gotten like I never finished the Harry Potter series for lots of reasons. It never bothered me. I never finished like the the series with the the dragons in it. The first one's like Aragorn or no no Aragorn. That Aragorn, yeah, that one. <laughs> it's got like different colored dragons on the front covers. Like I I got a reasonable way through that series, but it doesn't bother me that I'll probably never finish it. Like I enjoyed those books and I still think about those stories fondly. It like the ending was never it never mattered to me what the ending was. Because what I do with a book is all in my head anyway, so I can just make up my own ending and it can do its own thing in my brain and I'm comfortable with that. Yeah, this is interesting to think about. I think a book is easier because you can always put it down. Like a bad book, you can sort of like, if you're not enjoying a book, you can leave it and it's fine. I'm thinking about shows that I stuck with all the way through that had sour endings that made the whole thing worse. Like I really enjoyed watching Queen's Gambit. I think I recommended it on the show at one point. And then when I reached the ending and I realized that it wasn't telling the story that I thought it was telling, it was just sort of like, I don't know. I don't want to get into it. I I ended up being very disappointed with Queen's Gambit and retroactively uh, resented the time I had spent with it. Same with Dead Like Me, which is one of the first shows that I got really into when I was a young adult. I watched every episode religiously every week. And then when the end came and went, I... I was so unexcited by it that uh, the same thing happened. I, I resented the time I had put in with it. It wasn't no longer, despite the fact that the journey had been fun and it no longer was the journey fun 
in my memory. My my whole attitude about it had changed. Yeah, I don't have that issue. I don't I, I don't actually remember how Queen's Gambit ended, probably because it was a legitimately bad ending, but I, I couldn't tell you how it ended. See, this is a rare instance where you have both staked out very strong positions on opposite ends of a spectrum. Oh my gosh, Jeremy I, has stolen my fence? I think that I fall somewhere in the middle, although probably slightly leaning towards Nick's side because I firmly believe that a story isn't good if its ending isn't good. Or rather, a story cannot be truly great if it doesn't have an ending that satisfyingly ties together the themes and the plots, brings everything to it to like a dramatic climax where the stakes feel big and then are resolved in a satisfying way. Like a story can't hang together if it doesn't have that. I have also you know, I'm a big fan of Stephen King and I love <laughs> Stephen King, but he sucks at endings like 90% of the time. I'm glad you brought this up. I was going to, I was going to launch into a riff where I was ripping on you for, uh, for liking Stephen King. To be fair, I also like Stephen King, but yes, he has, his endings are not good. He, here's the, the only, he, what, the only two but, stories I can but, think of that have bad endings are Stephen King. And what are those two? Just out of curiosity. One of them is it. That's Stephen King. And the other one is it's like the mist. It's it's the mist or the fog. Oh, see, I would argue that both of those have great endings. Those are like two of his best. Well, like those are the only things I can think of where the ending didn't ruin the story for me, but it made me frustrated because I spent all of it being absolutely horrified because I hate clowns. I absolutely hate clowns. But when I find out that it's actually just this like ancient spider kind of alien thing i'm like oh well that's not scary jordana that's not like a reveal that happens at the end of the book that's clear like throughout because it doesn't always manifest as a clown it manifests as a clown for the one kid it manifests as like it manifests as like a rapey homeless man or a werewolf or like a balloon filled with yes but it's the clown manifesting as those things in my mind until you see the spider the clown is manifesting as those oh, things. Well, I mean, that's that's your fault for reading the book wrong. I don't know what to tell you. This I has mean, been fair. the daily <laughs> section. Jeremy explains what's going on in it. See, I would argue that it and the mist both have very like satisfying endings because they bring everything to a to a conclusion that kind of makes sense and that 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 takes everything that's come before and amps up the tension on it in some way. But I think that a lot of the time, because Stephen King does not plot his novels out ahead of time, he is what they call a pantser, where he flies by the seat of his pants and literally makes it up as he goes. I think a lot of the time he like writes himself into a corner where it's not really clear where things are supposed to go from here and things kind of peter out rather than building up to something. And I think his best books are the ones where he avoids doing that, where he does really build things to like a satisfying and logical climax. And that's why pantsing is the wrong way to write a book. Is there anything else we want to talk about on this page? I would just, I'm, I actually have a question for, for both of you, but mostly for you because you weren't here on the last couple of pages. Why do you think Tempe thinks this story is so funny? He's the only one who laughs. I, I think it just, it's like transcends culture. And I also think maybe it's like he has a better understanding of, of stories, maybe. Like stories are more integral to Adam culture. He's also like, maybe there's he's like more emotionally intelligent than they are like they both feel they hespy and dayton both seem to like get like resent it they kind of don't get it uh they both feel like offended or uh like they've been made a fool of uh whereas tempe is sort of like appreciates like okay i i you know i fell for it but that's funny it's just a character beat 
Yeah, I guess that's it for this page, I suppose. All right, let's grab a, a short letter. This letter is from A.S., who writes, Voiced Retroflex Lateral Flap. Dear Pagers, it is so nice to have you back on the airwaves. My previous experience with Page of the Wind has all been binge listening, so it's a nice change of pace to get an episode at a time. Nick! You recently mentioned that your partner speaks Marathi, and you are trying to learn a consonant that you can't pronounce. This made me very excited because Marathi is also my first language. And I am guessing from your terrible pronunciation that the consonant you were trying is this one, as in Kela, <laughs> which, is, which means banana. I would love to know if I guessed correctly. Uh, and you were correct. That is the consonant I was trying to pronounce. Kela, the, Kela. I can't do it. Le. See, I don't hear a difference. I can't. I literally can't do it. I have been trying to think of a nickname that you could use for me, but so far, no luck. Happy for you to choose one. Lots of love. Uh, A.S. <laughs> See, I feel like now, originally the nicknames just sort of came up organically, but now I feel so much pressure to, to do them well and respectfully that I, I can, I remember it was on the spot when someone asked for a nickname. A Serbic speaker, a Serbic, I'm trying to find like a linguist thing. Uh, uh, what about an assertive speaker? Because they're better at the consonants than Nick. <laughs> <laughs> so be it. A.S., you're the assertive speaker. Thank you for writing. Thank you for correcting my truly terrible pronunciation. Too late in life did I approach the learning of new languages, and I will never be able to say bleh properly. <laughs> bleh. See, she across the room, she's she's doing the sound, and it sounds just like le to me. Like I, I cannot hear the difference. Well, you know what? Good on you for trying to learn something new at this late stage in your life. And we'll learn you how to listen to another episode of our podcast on tomorrow's episode of Page of the Way.